0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I've got another good show for you today. I'm going to be joined later in the show by Sean Marash, a producer for the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio, to talk some football after week three of the NFL season. Show Me the Money is also on tap. We can make some picks for week number four. And be sure you're locked into the end of today's show for this week's two-minute drill, where I take a look at Seau, The latest entry in the critically acclaimed 30 for 30 film series. We get it all rolling with this week's opening tip, where I reset the playoff picture with only a week to go in the baseball regular season, right after this. this? Welcome back to this week's opening tip. We're going to catch up on what's been happening in the baseball playoff push. We started getting into that a little bit last week where we took a look at the Yankees and what their issues are with my chat with Justin Diaz. That's where we're going to begin today. The Yankees were officially eliminated from the AL East race on Thursday when they lost to the Boston Red Sox, but now they are officially in the playoffs. By beating the Baltimore Orioles on Saturday in walk-off fashion, the Yankees clinched a wild-card berth. Now, whether they're going to host the game or go to Oakland, which has a match number of one entering play on Monday, remains to be seen. But that game might have come with a cost. Shortstop Didi Gregorius tore cartilage and his wrist sliding into home to score the winning run on Saturday. And now there's doubt about whether he's going to play the rest of this year. Losing Didi this close to the playoffs is a huge deal for the Yankees' chances of making a deep October run. Aaron Boone said over the weekend that Glaber Torres will get some playing time there. Adany Hechevarria will also factor in. But both options are a huge downgrade from having Didi at short and Gleyber Torres at second base. Here's what else we know about the Yankees, some stuff we've learned over the past week. Gary Sanchez, despite his struggles, locked in as the Yankees catcher. I think this is the right decision, despite his defensive issues, despite the fact that Romain's had a pretty good year. Gary Sanchez is a game-breaking catcher offensively. All he needs to do is get hot, and he can help carry them through the playoffs. I think that's the right choice. The other interesting thing the wild card starter. Still up in the air. Masahiro Tanaka figures to be in the lead. He did get hit pretty hard by the Red Sox last week, but I still think he's got a good shot. J.A. Happ still in the mix. Another one that surprised me, apparently Luis Severino has pitched his way back into consideration with a couple of good outings in a row in September. Now there's no doubt Severino has the best stuff of the three and he got off to a great start this year, but you gotta wonder, are those two-month struggles that he had after the All-Star break you can't forget that and you also got to remember that last year he started the Walker game and he was awful only lasted the third of an inning gave four runs it was out of there before you can blink in a one-game winner-go-home situation you need to put your best foot forward I think right now that's Tanaka I think it's where the Yankees will end up but the fact they haven't gotten there as of Monday is interesting now let's go take a look at the A's the A's are gonna be in the playoffs they may even host this game fact they're getting that they're in the mix for this is remarkable. The A's have a rotation right now filled with Mike Fiers, Edwin Jackson, Trevor Cahill, Brett Anderson, and the opener is the fifth starter which Sean Mania done for the year. How that team with those starting pitchers, none of whom would be a fifth starter for most teams in the league on opening day, how that team is in the playoffs is amazing a lot of the credit goes to that lineup led by Chris Davis Chris with a K to be clear not the one who's sticking up the joint in Baltimore sitting 249 45 home runs 119 rbis entering play on Monday third baseman Matt Chapman with his incredible glove all hitting 280 23 homers 66 rbis and former Cardinal Stephen Piscotti saying 270 with 26 bombs 85 rbis the A's rotation is not great But they do have a lockdown bullpen filled with former closers. They have Fernando Rodney, Sean Kelly, Matt Franz, our old friend Jerry's Familia, all the way to Blake Trinan who has blossomed. Now that group may not have the starting pitching to go deep in the playoffs, but in a one-game scenario where they can have a quick hook on whichever star is gonna be, which at this point is probably gonna be fires, and you use that bullpen with that lineup, they can easily steal that game. and. That's a big threat to the Yankees in the one-game spot. Whoever wins the one-game playoff, well, they get the Red Sox. They're going to set a franchise record for wins, which is amazing considering how long that team has been in existence. We know that the Red Sox have an amazing lineup. We know they have two MVP candidates in there with Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez, but they have two big issues going into October. Number one, the bullpen. Number two, the health of Chris Sale. Now, the Red Sox bullpen... They have Craig Kimbrell, who is great, and he's probably the best closer in the league right now. But their bullpen outside of him is atrocious. There's no clear eighth inning guy, no setup man on the roster that's that's a lock. The Red Sox were using knuckleballer Stephen Wright recently in the eighth inning to try and solve that problem. With the bullpen being unreliable, you need your stars to get deep into games. And that's where the Chris Sale problem comes in. Sale, who is the best pitcher in the American League, should win the Cy Young this year. He's pitched only 12 and a third innings since July 27th due to injury issues. Sale pitched on Friday through 73 pitches against the Indians. If he can get them close to 90 in his next start, he should be good to go for the divisional series. Sale's got to pitch twice in that five game series because if you're the Red Sox, you don't want to come down to Price twice or Eduardo Rodriguez or Porcello or whoever else you can think of. Sale needs to be the man in that series we need to get him stretched out and sharp in order to have a chance to get deep into October. Now, the other AL series, that's a match of the last two teams that won the pennant, the Houston Astros and the Indians. Cleveland, nobody talks about them. They coasted through the year because the AL Central is complete garbage. The Astros, they've had an eventful year for the defending champs. The Astros do have some problems, especially their whole rotation, which was dynamite in the first half. They've all gotten worse in the second half. Every single one of them. The bullpen suspect again, even after adding Ruru Asuna, which most people did not want them to do for it in terms of a morality standpoint. That team, that pitching has been shaky. Charlie Morton left his last start with an injury. They've got nothing out of Carlos Correa, who's been hampered by back problems a lot of the year. George Springer is banged up. This team is vulnerable in the playoffs. I think the Indians could easily take them out. They have a dominant rotation. Corey Kluber, Mike Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco are going to start in the playoffs, and be, they could be very good in a short series. Adding Josh Donaldson also lengthens that lineup, which is very talented. And they're getting slept on because they only have 85-86 wins right now. This team has the right mentality to get in deep into the playoffs. They have the right setup. They have a great pitching staff. The bullpen's been shaky, but they have the names, experience back there with Cody Allen and Andrew Miller. Brad been a huge pickup for them. I think the Indians are a deep sleeper to get out of the American League and get to the World Series. National League, still a bit chaotic. We, we got a little bit of clarity over the weekend. The Braves finally clinched the National League East. Atlanta's definitely had a schedule, but they are a young, talented team playing with house money, and that's always scary in October. Remember what happened with the Mets in 2015? They got there with house money because nobody thought they were going to get there when they were 52 and 50 in the middle of the season. But this team, they have the talent They have young guys like Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. experiencing the playoffs the first time. They're going to be very, very scary in a few years. The fact they're here already, look out. The rest of the NL field is still up for grabs. NL West, Diamondbacks officially eliminated over the weekend. Now it's down to the Dodgers and the Rockies. L.A. is up a game in the lost column entering play today. The Dodgers get those Diamondbacks and the Giants on the road in the last week of the season. Both of those teams could be motivated to try and knock the Dodgers out. The Rockies are home. They get the NL East teams that were just eliminated from the playoffs, the Phillies and Nationals. Who knows how those teams are motivated to play in those games. The loser of the NL West is still in the mix of second wild card. The top wild card team coming from the NL Central. The Cubs are in the lead in that division with a week to go. They're up two and a half on Milwaukee. They should be able to hold on to that. On paper, the Cubs have the deepest roster in the National League. It's a matter of like if they can play together when they get to October. Coming up right behind the Milwaukee Brewers, the Brewers had a fast start, faded a bit down the, down the stretch, got hot again in September, thanks to Christian Yelich. Yelich has been outstanding this year, hitting 322, 32 homers, 96 RBIs, 21 steals, in 140 games. He's basically stolen that National League MVP award. And the Brewers, who look like they're about to fade out of the playoffs a month ago, are now set to get back in for the first time since 2011 when they lost to the Cardinals in the NLCS. Speaking of those Cardinals, they play Milwaukee starting on Monday. Big, big series for both teams. The Cardinals, everybody wrote them off in midseason when they fired Mike Matheny. That club has come together very well since. The problem is they have the toughest schedule of anybody left in playoff contention. They have the Brewers and the Cubs over the season's final week, so a bad week could knock them out of the playoffs. Things are very tight in this situation, and you could get a playing game in the National League between the Cardinals and the NLs loser just to get to the Wild Card game. Think about that. You could have a playing game for the ultimate playing game. That is insane. We'll have more on the playoff race next week once everything is locked in and the matchups are set. Up next, I'll be joined by Sean Maresh to talk big headlines from week three of the NFL season.
1: Second down.
2: year so here he comes right at you from the bright side of your screen and I was one I want to see is there helmet contact here the helmet hits the shoulder and that's what it is from the neck up from the shoulder pads up the helmet hitting the shoulder pad is why Craig Rolstadt pulled the flag and threw it Clay Matthews feels extremely snake bit right now he doesn't know what to do and what's right or what's not right Mike McCarthy's absolutely furious.
0: Before we dive into today's interview with Sean Marash, I want to let everyone know they had to get cut a bit short due to some technical difficulties. I apologize for that. Make sure you follow Sean on Twitter, at CBS. that's M-R-A-Z-C-B-S, because he's truly an entertaining tweeter. With all that being said, here's my interview with Sean Mirash. Wide to the left, Shepard slot right.
2: Manning, throws, end zone, touchdown! Sterling Shepard! Bold call. And Sterling Shepard working out of the slot, does it again.
0: All right, before we get to today's guest, let's take a look back at his reaction at the Giants' Week 2 loss to the Cowboys, courtesy of the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio.
2: I thought for sure even if the Giants were going to have a great year, that last night they would show you something. You know, the first week with the O-line excuse was Well, look at the Jaguars' defensive front. They're going to be able to pound them. Well, the Giants looked lost last night, like they are playing the 85 Bears, and Eli Manning, I don't care how bad the O-line is, is running 13 yards backward to get sacked, can't maneuver the pocket at all. We were sold all off-season on this damn Eli apology tour that John Mara put Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer on that. well, look at all the weapons. You watch what he does now. We invested in the O-line. And guess what? He still sucks. It's over. He's going to be 38 years old. And, and this is it. Now we're in no man's land. We could have at least had a young quarterback that they drafted at number two and a quarterback-rich draft class to look forward to and live with the losing. But instead, we drafted Saquon Barkley, who might be a Hall of Famer, might be a star, and you got Giant fans complaining he has no O-line to run behind. Well, what the heck did you expect when you took him? This is like buying a Ferrari when you can't afford the mortgage on your house. The stupidest offseason plan I've ever seen, and now they're 0-2. They're about to go to Houston to face a team who just lost to the Titans, who had neither offensive tackle, and Blaine Gabbard starting, and the Giants are going to get their ass kicked to them. And then what's the excuse going to be? It's just, it's shot. It's shot. Eli Manning is the horse you take behind the barn and do you know what to it. <laughs> Enough. What, have Kyle Lollett starting by Thanksgiving? You had a chance to get Sam Darnold to Josh Rosen and you spit the bit. So now this year's a wasted year. I'm sure next year's a wasted year. And whenever they decide to finally wake their ass up and draft a quarterback, that will be a wasted year because you gotta give him a year to groom. So we're looking at a minimum three wasted years of me sitting on my fat ass watching a team go three and thirteen year in, year out. When did the New York Giants become the Cleveland Browns, DA? I mean, how many Mondays gonna walk in here and my sorry ass is sitting here, and for what? I'm missing out on a valuable family time or doing something healthy with my life to sit on the couch. You know, my parents don't even have air condition. It's 95 degrees last night, and we can't move the ball. Got an all-world receiver. I'm checking down every down. You're down three scores, four minutes left. DA, Pat Shermer's, you know, let the play clock tick down a last second. He's making Ben McAdoo look like Vince Lombardi.
0: Joining me today is the producer of the DA show for CIS Sports Radio and an on-air personality whose voice you just heard in that rant about the Giants. Sean Marash. Sean, welcome. How are you today?
3: Mike, what's going on, man? How are you
0: doing? I'm doing very well. You were very fired up week two after the Giants lost that game to the Cowboys. We saw them play this Sunday. They picked up a big 27-22 win. How has that performance changed how you feel about this team? It
3: at least gave me some kind of relief that every Sunday you can see
0: an honest effort. And if that's the case.
3: It, then this win literally means nothing. Like, you know, they got to see how they get after Drew Brees, get after the Saints. And remember, it's still been since 2015 if this Giants team has scored 30-plus points. So they still won three games last year. If they stay status quo, maybe that Houston game is one of three. Uh, positive signs overall, but I need to see more before I totally change my outburst and my outlook after the way they looked versus Dallas from Week 2.
0: Yeah, one guy who looked a lot better from Week 2 to Week 3 was Eli Manning. He got, he got sacked four times still. his best game of the year goes twenty five or twenty nine, two hundred and ninety seven yards, two touchdowns. If the line improves, that's a big if because we don't know if Chad is gonna be that good after just one game. Do you think we expect more of this Eli going forward?
3: Yeah, I mean I think that's that's the big with Eli. That's kind of why I wanted to see the Daniel to draft a quarterback and let Eli Groom that have a quarterback for a year is that I can't foresee the offensive line becoming as dominant and powerful as the Cowboys offensive line. And if Elon Manning needs the Cowboy like offensive line to be able to still pick defenses apart, well, then you're never going to see that. But he got enough protection and had enough time. It didn't look like he was scared just to have to check down to Barkley under every throw. And whether it has to do with just trust, you know, you had a veteran, John Greco, took over at center for John Alabio. And obviously, Chad Wheeler, an undrafted rookie last year, now in his second year, replacing Eric Flowers. Maybe that did the trick because his offensive line still, Wheeler got enough.
0: All right, the Giants this week—they come home, they play the Saints. The Giants have been vulnerable on defense all year. They're still two and one. Do you think the Giants showed enough in Week Three? You think they can give the Saints a game and possibly steal it and get back to 500? they can get back on track, that would be huge. Let's go to the Jets for a minute. I have the misfortune of rooting for this miserable football team. They managed to blow a 14 nothing lead in Cleveland last Thursday. Browns got their first win in two years. When you watch that game, what was the biggest problem that you saw with the Jets?
3: Defense. I think a lot of people will point to Sam Darnold and... the territory of having a rookie quarterback. I know mean, it's just part of the deal. But on defense, this should have been what Charlie was doing this year. Avery Williams in a linebacker. Darren Lee at linebacker. But any guys in the secondary like Tremaine Johnson. Jamal Adams could be an overall team. The names are littered. Leonard Williams seems to get out of a second a year and a half. The name brand is literally all over the defense. Sort of. We 2 in Miami. After taking out an eight-point game, a one-score game, the defense just uh, Collapse, buckle, lying down and over doing one And then in the league, I know it's a short week, but think of make still being a rookie like you have a rookie, Sam Donald. You can't allow yourself as a defense. you just a chance. What kind of defensive football team that just relies on that and you keep the keep them and let the all be able to have a chance of winning? you were here to the 14-0, team, you cannot do that game. It's just the most blaring league in defense, And you know what?
0: All right, last question. Quick thoughts on the roughing the passer problem where it seems like half of these calls are just ridiculous and like routine football players getting flagged now.
3: Well, much like the arrest of the NFLA, domestic and everything on the same category, you know, eliminating half of they don't have a place. There'll be one.
0: I agree with that. I know you have to run, so do you want to let everyone know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Thanks for the time Sean. Thank you. That was Sean Morass, the producer of the DA show on CBS Sports Radio, talking NFL football after week number three. Up next, show me the money with your picks for week four right after this
3: show me the money Does
2: that make me feel good.
0: All right, and we're back with Show Me the Money for week number four of the NFL season. Joining me today to make the picks is a guy who honestly inspired this segment. That's my good friend, Will Smith. Will, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Mike. How are you?
0: Doing good. Just to be clear, this is not the actor, not the relief pitcher on the Giants, correct? That is correct. Okay, I just wanted to get that out there, everybody. Before we get started, can tell everybody what kind of fan you are?
1: Uh, Unfortunately, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan.
0: How did that happen?
1: Uh, it all happened probably when I was about five years old. And uh, my dad, who is a big Giants fan, uh, they had a, a big game against Dallas, and they needed a win to go to the playoffs. And they were up 20, 28-3 in the third quarter, and Dallas came all the way back and beat them. And he was so visibly upset, I said, I'm going to root for that team from now on.
0: Did you get any Super Bowls out of that experience, or was this after the run?
1: Uh, This was after the run.
0: So you get get bonus points for not being sucked in by the 90s team that won the Super Bowl.
1: Very, very true. All
0: right. Last week, the Cowboys, they beat those Giants again week two. Week three against Seattle, not so well. Dak Prescott with two big picks to one-time Cowboy target Earl Thomas. They lost. What were your big takeaways from that game?
1: I, I took away that Dak tried to put too much on his back. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott had 137 yards rushing, and they just stopped giving him the ball. Yeah, he had a big fumble in the fourth, but the guy had 137 yards against that front seven.
0: Yeah, that's pretty. That's something else, I think. Just the fact that they're just been their offense has no weapons whatsoever.
1: I mean, Dak, Dak is not a bad quarterback, but when your receivers can't get open, he's not going to make the throws.
0: All right, let me give you some numbers real quick to throw by you. These are two quarterbacks over their last 13 starts. Quarterback A has thrown for 2,396 yards, 10 touchdowns, 11 picks. Quarterback B has thrown for 2,326 yards, 11 touchdowns, 12 picks. you want to take a guess who they are?
1: I know that stat. One's Dak Prescott, and the other one is Brock Osweiler. That's not good. That is terrible.
0: Are you worried about Dak's ability to lead this team long term?
1: I am, uh, 100%.
0: Why would you why do you think he were what's the big issue? Is it the fact that he doesn't have the weapons? Is it the fact that like he doesn't can't win by himself? What do you think the problem is?
1: It's a combination of both. Like I think Dak could get the job done if he had weapons on the outside. Um but now that he doesn't, it's all on him and he's not that kind of quarterback that can just win on his own. He's not Drew Brees,
0: he's not Aaron Rodgers. All right, the Dallas is playing the Detroit Lions this week. The Lions look good last Sunday. They beat the Patriots on that football. We were watching that game. What do you think their chances are to beat the Lions and get back to 500?
1: Uh Not good at all, to be honest. I, uh, there, I don't, there's no games that I really feel good about, especially how good the Lions look. against the Patriots defense, running the ball, passing the ball. Uh, Sean Lee's going to be out this weekend, so it doesn't look good for Dallas.
0: Yeah, and Sean Lee's a big key to that defense because without him, they just seem to take five steps backwards.
1: Uh, five is an understatement, probably like 10, 15 steps backwards.
0: All right, before we move on to the picks, let's reset where we are in the Just and the Suffering Pick Challenge heading into week four. Our good friend Justin Diaz was here last week making picks for the cha- the challengers. He went 3-0. and He picked the Saints, getting three in Atlanta. The Steelers, minus one in Tampa Bay. And the Dolphins... Minus three at home against John Gruden's Raiders. It sounds like he did pretty good. That's
1: a lot to live up to.
0: This is how my week went. 0-3 for the second week in a row. I took the Packers, minus three in Washington. That worked out tremendously. Broncos, plus five at Baltimore, which I admit in hindsight was a questionable pick, but that got even worse. And the Pats laid the egg in Detroit, and they were laying six and a half. The challengers are now six and three on the season. I am three and six, so I have to try and get back on track this week. Will, since you are the guest, you can go first. Where are you going with your first pick? My
1: first pick is going Thursday night. I'm taking the Vikings plus seven against the Rams. Why is that? You can't play bad, uh, You can't play as worse as the Vikings did last week against the Bills. So I think on the short week, they're going to come out and show people that they're actually one of the best teams in the NFC.
0: Even though the flight, they're flying out west on the short week, that doesn't bother you?
1: It doesn't bother me. I heard the stat about how teams, after losing on a short week, flying two time zones or 0-10. I'm not saying the Vikings are going to win. I just think they're going to cover seven.
0: Yeah, I also think the fact that the Broncos, not the Broncos, the Rams, excuse me, are going to be down possibly two cores in this game is also a big help for them.
1: Uh, especially because the, the backup corners have to guard Diggs and Thielen.
0: Okay. Pick number one, you had the Vikings plus seven. Where are you going next?
1: I'm going Green Bay Packers minus nine and a half.
0: Okay. They, now you get the Bills in that game, the Bills who just beat the Vikings. What makes you so confident in the Packers?
1: That was just a flash in the pan for the Bills. Green Bay coming off a bad loss against Washington in Washington. I think the, the, the Green Bay Packers win by at least two touchdowns.
0: You're not buying the Josh Allen hype? Not at all. All right, so you have the Packers minus 9.5. And and where are you going with your third pick?
1: Last pick, I'm going to go with Tom Terrific. When's the last time you saw a Patriots team under Tom Brady go 1-3? and
0: Not very often.
1: So I'm going to take them with the seven, saying they're going to beat the undefeated Dolphins by 10.
0: Yeah, and the fact that the game's in New England helps a lot because Brady struggles in Miami big time. Yep. Well, now the Dolphins are three and zero. They've beat they beaten the Titans, they beat the Jets, and they beat the Raiders. It's not exactly the world's best competition. You think that the jump up to face New England is gonna is gonna set them back?
1: It, it will probably set them back a little bit. I could see the Dolphins putting up a fight until like the third quarter, and then Tom Brady just turns it on.
0: Yeah, I took the Dolphins as an under in my uh, picks of the game of the year, so that was a six and a half numbers. So I'm in trouble there already.
1: Yeah, it looks like they're going to get past that six and a half. They'll probably get eight and eight or seven and nine maybe even better than that
0: yeah they'll be right there and that's gonna that's gonna cost me one pick but hopefully i'll get make it up somewhere else i'm gonna i'm gonna go now my first pick of the week i'm taking the la chargers laying 10 and a half at home against the san francisco 49ers obviously the 49ers are hurt by jimmy garoppolo being out for the season and that's a big downgrade from him to cj bethard last year bethard started six games The 49ers were outscored 164-98 to in those contests. I don't think that trend's going to get any better. The the, uh, Chargers are coming off that big loss to the Rams last week. I think that Rivers is going to put up a bunch of numbers. They're going to win by at least two touchdowns.
1: I would have to agree with that because C.J. Beathard is not an NFL quarterback. I could just see the Chargers getting out 21-3 early and just stopping them on D.
0: Yeah, and the Chargers are one and two, and they thought a lot of people thought they were going to win the West this year. And now that they are behind the Chiefs, who got out three and zero, they need to get a win and get back on track.
1: Yes, they do. All
0: right, pick number two. I am going with the Chicago Bears minus three at home against the Fighting Fitzpatrick's. Tampa Bay, they got off two and zero. Nearly came back against the Steelers Monday night. Got let Fitzpatrick keep that job for another week. I do not like them going on the road on the short week. Everybody talks about the Fitzpatrick experience. In fact, he's thrown for 400 yards in three straight games. Their defense has given up 91 points over those first three games. And now the Bears don't have a super-powered offense, but they can easily finally move the ball. Plus, Fitzpatrick, I think he's starting to turn back into pumpkin. He threw three picks on Monday night. The Bears have already forced eight turnovers this year. Their D is tremendous. I think the Bears win that game by a touchdown.
1: I agree there, too. And as you know, you know the Fitzpatrick thing way too well. If you watch them on Monday night, three of those picks, all those picks were terrible. I think he's turning back into the Ryan Fitzpatrick we all know.
0: Yeah, i so he curious to see how long, they, how long a rope they gave him, especially with Winston off the of suspension now.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. So we'll see how I could see, like, if he played bad in the first half, then Jameis comes in, in the second.
0: Okay. That's my second pick. My third pick of the week. I am going with the Oakland Raiders, the winless Raiders at home, laying two and a half against the Browns. The Browns have not won a road game and I believe three years. Everybody's very high on them because now they switched to Baker Mayfield. They are everybody's hyping them up. They played well. They could easily be three and off. They played up to their potential and actually didn't make a few kicks along the way. But I just think going out west. Going into the black hole is never easy for anybody. The Raiders are desperate. They need a win. Aside from the Ram game, they have not played that terribly in the other two. I could easily see the Raiders just coming out, putting up a statement win, and sending the Browns back another week.
1: See, that's a tough one to pick. I probably wouldn't touch that one. Uh, It sounds like you don't believe in the Baker magic. But just the last three games that the Raiders have, they can't close. So I could just see them be up 10, and then here come the Browns, backdoor cover.
0: Yeah, about two and a half, I, that's a hell of a backdoor cover. I only they get the touchdown get to within three, I still win.
1: That's true, but I could see them being down, you know, seven or six and uh, get the backdoor cover that way if, after kicking a field goal after the touchdown, losing by one or something.
0: Yeah, I think this is the, for me, this is really the anti-Hugh Jackson pick. Cause I feel like Hugh got very lucky last week that, that Todd Bowles not able to adjust at all to Mayfield coming in the game.
1: Yeah, now that, you know, obviously they've only seen a half of his film, but the Raiders will be more prepared than the Jets were.
0: Yes, plus, the like I said, the Raiders being home and the Browns flying out west. I think that's a big factor in this game. People are underrating.
1: Yeah, that is definitely a big factor. And, you know, Baker's first time in the black hole.
0: Never an easy place to play. Not at all. All right, let's reset the picks. Will went with the Vikings plus seven against the Rams in Los Angeles tomorrow night. The Packers laying nine and a half at home against the Josh Allen-led Buffalo Bills. And the Pats minus six and a half Hosting the 3 0 Miami Dolphins. I have gone with the Chargers, laying 10.5 at home against the 49ers without Jimmy Garoppolo. The Bears, minus three at home against Fitzpatrick and the Bucks. And the Oakland Raiders, minus 2.5 in Baker Mayfield's first professional start. That's the picks for week number four. Will, thanks for the time. Thanks, Mike. All right, Brown, that was Will Smith with your picks for week four of Show Me the Money. Up next, This week's two-minute drill. Where are my thoughts on the latest Thirty for Thirty film? Say out. Welcome back to this week's two-minute drill. Today, I want to take a look at that latest Thirty for Thirty film. Say out. Which was released on ESPN streaming service ESPN Plus on September 20th. Directed by Kirby Bradley the film looks back at the life of Hall of Fame linebacker Junior Seau who played in the NFL for 20 years before committing suicide in 2012 at the age of 43. I watched this whole thing I I have ESPN Plus I streamed the whole thing over the weekend took a look at it. At the beginning of the movie they take a lot of time reminding you how great a player Seau was. The San Diego Chargers made their only Super Bowl appearance in franchise history in 1995 and Seau was the star of the AFC Championship game. In that game, with a bad shoulder, Junior Seau made 16 tackles and was all over the field. They upset the Steelers in Pittsburgh and got the Super Bowl. Granted, they got waxed there by the 49ers, but Seau's achievements cannot be forgotten there. Seau was such a tough player that he once got stitches on the sideline during a game after getting a gash on his chin. He got stitches during a football game to get back in the football game. That tells you how tough he was. That toughness gives way to darkness, and the rest of the film at this point, and the rest of the film at this point goes into the downward spiral. Say, I went in for the rest of his life, and you can see this early in the movie and early in his life. Say, I was a very happy, very joyful guy. Had a great career, beautiful wife, four kids. Bradley shows all of that. But as his career progresses, Seau's personality began to change. He grew darker, more distant from his family, moodier than he'd ever been. And Bradley does a great job showing you this through footage. There are clips of Seau earlier in his life where he's happy, he's smiling, he's engaged, he's looking right at you, make you feel like you're the best guy in the world. But later in his life, they show these clips of him in interviews. He's not looking at the camera. His eyes are not there. He looks depressed. He looks like he's not even aware of where he is at times. It's very disturbing. Everyone knows the tests on Seau's brain after his death reveal that he was suffering from CTE. But what Bradley does very well here, he shows you some warning signs along the way through interviews of people who knew out in his life. Seau's ex-wife describes how he would come home from practice after suffering a concussion and say, quote, my head is on fire. And know that his personality would change on a dime at the end of their marriage. He also talks to soccer player Taylor Twelman, who knew Seau when Seau was playing for the Patriots at the end of his career. Twelman recalls a conversation he had with Seau at dinner, where Seau talked about having concussion-related headaches since he was 15 years old. At that point, Seau was in his mid-30s. One thing that was striking throughout the film was seeing Seau's film, Jake, reading entries from Seau's personal journal throughout the film. It was an incredibly compelling way to track how Seau's thoughts changed as his life progressed. It got darker. The quotes were scary. It was incredible. Bradley also got an account from Seau's girlfriend at the time of his death. She described how she found his body on the day he took his own life. That was gut-wrenching. Bradley also cuts in interviews with some of Seau's former teammates, like Drew Brees and Rodney Harrison, who give their own experience with concussions. Rodney Harrison says in the movie that he never got a concussion test in his football career. It's incredible to think that a guy who played as hard as Rodney Harrison did was never checked once for a concussion. Another former teammate of Junior Seau's, Fred McCrary, admits that he still gets unbearable headaches at times and that the pain from these gets so bad that he has had thoughts about how being dead we be better than living with the pain from those headaches it's very very interesting ESPN not only pursued this project but stucking on a streaming service especially given how harsh a light it shines on the concussion problem in the national football league Seo does a great job capturing the true cost of being a pro football player and the risk that these men take when they take the field every Sunday ESPN plus requires a subscription, but you can access it with a free trial. I highly 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 recommend that you check this film out if you are a football fan Say out gets you thinking Raises a lot of questions Especially in terms of how you as a football fan who's playing fantasy football who's betting on the games Who's watching your favorite team play every Sunday? It makes you wonder how much of that you're willing to accept knowing that the people who are playing this game for your entertainment every week of the nfl season the price they're paying for it later in their lives it's a deep watch but definitely something that any nfl fan should check out and think about before you sell in for week four this weekend and that's going to do it for today's show want to thank my guest sean marash for coming on to talk week three of the nfl and will smith for making picks for week four and show me the money if you want more good stuff like this podcast Including a look at why the Knicks are smart for sitting out of the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes. Be sure to check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes simply by searching for Just End the Suffering in the podcast store. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings to help make the show even better. You can also follow me on Twitter at MPhillips331. That's M P H I L L I P S 331. And tweet at me with the hashtag Playing Game if you made it to the end of this week's show. Be sure you're locked in next week as we take a look at the playoff matchups in baseball and make more NFL picks And Show Me the Money. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Jets fans.